Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. It says this. In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue, as as usual, and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Jews and the, and the Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to Lycaonium, down t- towns of Lystra and Derby, and to the surrounding countryside. There they continued to pre- preaching the gospel. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you sent your holy, your holy and beloved and begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to become love on the cross, to become the Lamb, the perfect Lamb of God, given for the sin of the world. And thank you for the resurrection, by which the gospel is we preach not just a crucified Christ, but a risen Savior, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, God that you still do signs and wonders today. Lord, we pray that you guide us and inspire us, Lord Jesus, in your presence and in your spirit, by whom we walk and by whose name we pray. Jesus Christ, amen. 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 So our point here this morning that I want us to focus on is is seeing God in this in this fresh way by seeing this passage. Like, what is going on in this passage here today? What are we seeing in Paul's life? How are we seeing the gospel preached and lived, lived down? Because I got I got preached before. Signs, signs and wonders are awesome. They're they're great. I mean, like like I always say, like my testimony is I love my testimony. Of signs and wonders where I was having a really difficult time seeing. I had just blurred vision. I had, I don't know what it was like, astigmatism, whatever, but I just, like, whenever I looked at headlights, they were fanned out and they started to become super blurry to where I wouldn't even drive at night. And I was, I was going on to a Bible study and I was like, Amberlynn, you gotta go home. I, I've got nothing. Just, I, I can't see. We're gonna die in the canyon. It's gonna be my fault. <laughs> so, so we went, you know, one time everyone was off somewhere, I can't remember where, but it was just me. And I went to our small group, our, our home church when we were living in Idaho. And I had the sense, that, so I was driving there, and I was pulling up. God said, God told me, he's like, I, can, I brought you here tonight to heal you. Wow. I was like, I don't know, a little Southern Baptist right here, come on. You know, we don't, we don't, we, our, our Trinity saw this on one Bible. So, you know. I don't, I, this Holy Spirit you keep speaking of. I know, who is this? <laughs> and so I, I went and they, they laid hands on me. They, opened, they circled around. I told them, I was like, God's, God said, you brought me here to heal me. So I'm going to open up and say, okay, God, if you're, if you're telling me this, do it. Here I am. And so they circled around me. I invited them to circle around me. And they put, put their hands on me and I opened my eyes. And they prayed over me for a few minutes. 
And when I opened my, I mean, it was like, my eyes were like gushing. Like, my, my entire was wet from tears. And I was immediately, instantly healed. I could see clearly, and it's never come back. God still heals. Amen? Amen. God still does signs and wonders. Amen? Amen. God not only heals, like, I love that song. I've seen these things, different things happen. I've seen metal places all. I've seen broken bodies healed. I've seen addicts finally free. I've seen families restored. Amen. Don't you tell me he can't do it. Yes. It's kind of how I sing that song. I was like, almost like a, I yell, don't you tell me that you can't do it. I know better. I've seen the works. I've heard the stories from people that don't make stuff up. Yeah. God does signs and wonders still you know, back then and still today. These are not just fantasy stories. Yeah. These are not just testimonies of, oh, that could be scientifically disproven. I've seen time after time after time, doctors are like, I have no explanation. explanation. Yeah. It was a stinking metal plate. It doesn't dissolve in the body. And it's gone. Yeah. Cancers, <clears throat> gone. Promise and pain that are just sometimes as hard to heal. Your story. Don't ever say the words God can't. Because yeah. God can't. And God still does. And so that's what we learned from our, our, our passage here this morning is that love your neighbor plus signs and wonders equals glory to God. Love your neighbor, because we see love all over this passage. It doesn't say it, I don't even think, once in this passage, but we see it all over the page. All over this paragraph in Scripture. That loving your neighbor plus signs and wonders equals glory to God. To God. So let's look at this passage here this morning. Everyone got it? Can move on? Okay. If not, cheat off your neighbor. <laughs> so let's talk about it coming for a little bit. That's over, that's over our passage here this morning. And so we're ending up here because this is, you know, the first gospel journey or gospel adventure, I like to say. The gospel, first gospel adventure of the book of Acts here. So we're in Iconium. Iconium, as you look at your piece of paper there, you can kind of see a map of it. Make sure you have the color version because there was a couple black and white versions out this morning that was last year. But, <laughs> so you're looking at the, the color version here this morning. And so it's actually the place that, uh, where it's at. It's hard to see on a you know, 2D map. But that's actually a high plateau. So you actually go up the hill from the coastline up, and it's, it's flat up on top. It's almost like you know, over here, like in Veritas, we have these rose to death plateau. You go up to it's just weird names in Montana. I'll tell you, right? Uh, really colorful ones. <laughs> so the rose to death plateau, you go up to 10,000 feet, 11,000 feet. This is one ginormous plateau. It's crazy. Like, you get up there and, like, you're seeing this ginormous canyon if you're coming in from, like, Red Lodge. And all of a sudden, you get up and, like, there's just lakes everywhere. And, so, and it's flat. Like, wait, what? Wasn't I just in the canyon? What? What is this? So that's kind of where, where they're at. They're on a fertile, very fertile plateau. This is a Greek city. So when they were taken over by the Romans, kind of right before Jesus was born, uh, by Pompey, um, they were able to actually remain heavily Greek. 
And so in, the, in this day and age, like you'll see like a Roman city, and then you go to the next one, it's a Greek city. You go to the next one, it's a Roman city. You go to the next one, it's a Greek city. You know, it's, it's back and forth. It depends on how the Roman Empire dealt with different towns and cities and stuff like that. Whether Roman, because a lot of times what happened was like the Roman people heard about this really cool city, and they all moved there. So it just comes from them. You know, but the Greeks, because these, like this place right here, Iconium has been a staple in this entire region for a long time. This is kind of the capital of this region. Um, but here's the thing, Iconium is actually in the, in the region of Galatia. But so Iconium, the name, let's look at the name. Iconium means image. Icon. So where do the word icon from? So like in the Greek Orthodox Church, they have icons. They're like pictures, fancy pictures of the saints or Jesus or different characters and caricatures from the Bible. But it's interesting because the word actually comes from Greek paganism. Perseus, which is in get pick up, pick this up, and see if you can hear the distortion. So Perseus, the Greek god, and Athena, also the Greek goddess, got together and they formed out of the mud, out of the of ground, mankind. Sounds like our Bible. So a distortion of the creation order. Because the enemy always takes what God did and tries to take credit for it. Right. And it makes the story weird. Yeah. It's super weird. Like studying the you know the Greeks, it's real weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but so in the beginning, this is this is the thing, like this could be even the beginning of the gospel message that they brought in. Is that in the beginning God created. Yahweh, Jesus, created all things, the heavens and the earth. Right. And God fashioned man out of the dust of the ground. Right. Not you. Not your little peon gods that are powerless. But it's interesting to see how, as they come into, the, come into the city, how both of them would both you know, accept them and reject them at the same time. Both the Jews and the, Gen and the Greeks, the Gentiles. Specifically because of the message of the gospel that Yahweh created the heavens and the earth, and that Jesus is now the way of salvation. Yeah. Uh -huh. This side takes off the Greeks, this side takes off the Jews. Right. Mm -hmm. But the gospel is true, and the gospel is powerful, and it's working. Like I said, this is the region of Galatia. And so this is when they're planting all these different churches. And as you can see on your map, all like all three of them are in the Earl Four. Because like Antioch and Lystra, Derby, and I think there will be one more, but I yeah, I come to you. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but this is actually one of the churches that Paul will write the letter or the epistle of Galatians to. Because this is in, this is like it would be like to the church in America. Right? Well, we're one of the churches. They are one of the churches. And so when Paul is writing the, the book of Galatians, which we'll get to here in a few weeks, he's writing to them. He's writing to this church that he just is now planting in Galatia because of the preaching of the gospel and the working of signs and wonders in their midst. And he's writing this, this letter, he'll write Galatians to address the, the Jewish you know, persecution, but also the Jewish Dilution. They're trying to dilute the gospel and trying to distort it, distort their perspectives and bring them back to their old ways. Bring them back to just Judaism and the law. Mm -hmm. 
Think about this. Their friends and their family who've known them for their whole lives. Who they've, they've gone to Shabbat dinners together. They've gone to Jerusalem to go visit the temple. They've gone and they've sacrificed their Passover lambs together in the temple. They've gone together to synagogue and worn the little cappy thing and gone in there and done all the little things, the different practices. And, and they've grown up under the same law, under the same traditions. And their friends and family think that they're doing good. They think they mean well. Like, come back to this. Come back to how we grew up. Come back to this life that we believe is still true. The old belief structures and ways, they're dragging them back over into false comfort, into false traditions, into a false gospel, a false hope that salvation is found in the law. Salvation is found in sacrifice and away from the author of life, away from the truth, away from the true joy, away from Yahweh himself. Amen. When Yahweh invited them near by the blood of Christ. Let me say, it says right here in our passage, he went to the synagogue as usual. Right? This is one of the places where we see that this is his ministries, you know, what he did all the time, his habits, throughout the entirety of his ministry, he always went to the synagogue first, as usual. Like Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, as usual, the Mount of Olives. So synagogue first, then to the Jew. As, as even Jesus would say, first to the Jew, and then to the Gentiles. Because here's the thing. Of the Jews and the Greeks, Jews and the Gentiles, both of them received the gospel message. They received it with joy. A great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. They believed that Yahweh created the world and all things in it. That God fashioned mankind from the dirt of the dust of the ground. And that he breathed the breath of life into him. And Jews came to believe that Jesus was truly the Messiah. Was truly the second one, the anointed one. The son of David who would come to deliver the world from sin and from shame. And raised from the dead to pour out his Holy Spirit. I always said, like, they were anticipating the coming of the Holy Spirit as much, if not more than, the coming of the Messiah. Because the coming of the Messiah meant the coming of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that was upon David, that was upon the Ark of the Covenant, is now upon you. Is now upon us. We are the temple. We are the presence of God on this earth. Because he lives and works through us and among us. But also both rejected the gospel message. As I said, their minds were poisoned. This is like going back to our passage last week. What the J word we talked about, the first one. Jealousy. There were, this was jealousy. Now, not the jealousy of, like, you have what I want. I'm envious. But the true original meaning of the word jealousy, which was almost like this, this zealous rage, this zealous passion, this zealous desire for what you think is right, and you are zealously or jealously fighting and wrestling against that which you believe to be either destroying what's right or leading people astray into what is wrong. 
That's why God says, I am a jealous God. I'm zealous for myself, and I'm zealous for myself and my position in your life. Amen. I will not share my throne. As the Bible says, it says in, in Psalms, I do not share my glory with anyone. With anyone. And then, but then Peter says, we have then now become partakers of the, of the divine nature. Right. We are partaking of his glory. We are not given glory in order to be glorified. We are given glory to glorify. Signs and wonders come through our hands, not to bring us glory, but to bring Him glory, to bring glory to God. And we can't forget that. Nowhere in this place, in this, you know, all in this, in this Bible, do we see anyone being worshipped that they receive it and it goes well. For them. We always see people start to get becoming worshipped, which we'll see actually next week. And we will see them starting to be worshipped, and they say no. Stop! Worship. Worship him. Mm-hmm. Angel in Revelation. Paul and Barnabas to the Galatian, to these to the, the church in Lystra, because they're mistaken as gods. Right. Every time we point and direct people to worship God through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit through us. Right. Which we'll get to in a minute. But it's interesting to see that it didn't take long for the town to want to kill them. This is the second, this is the second town that he's at. And all of a sudden, now they, they want to kill them already. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, like they, they turned their minds, they poisoned their minds against them. And they, when they, an attempt was made, uh, when they found out of an attempt uh, by the Gentiles and Greeks uh, with the rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out and fled. And they're out. <clears throat> People who persecute others out of a jealousy for what they hold dear believe that what they are doing is right. And they are fighting against what they believe to be false. Though what they believe is actually false. Right. Mm-hmm. So you understand, and, and, and they change verbiage to make it sound good. To make it sound like this. This way or that. And they stir up, they stir up violence against God's church. They stir up reputation, you know, rumors against churches. Against people, against pastors, against just whatever, wherever and however God is working in in a city, like Bozeman. Bozeman, Belgrade, Three Forest, Livingston, the way that the enemy works is by offense, by rumors, right? Division, that's the whole, that's the purpose. He wants to divide the church, but also not just to divide the church, but also to divide the culture from the church. So that they do not hear the gospel and be saved. Mm-hmm. And then he wants to come inside the church and cause division, so he'll cause as many as he can to fall away. Right. Because if he can divide and, and stir up malice and strife within the church, then people will leave the church. Mm-hmm. And the church will be weak. Yep. The church will be powerless. And if the church can if he can get the church to believe that they are powerless, they will become powerless. Amen. Paul here is saying no. I love, I love how they even kind of juxtapose, juxtapose the, the, the phrase here. It says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the, against the brothers. So you would think that the next line is going to be, 
So they went ahead and left and shook the dust of their feet and left. Right? They said, so they stayed a long time. A long time. Yeah. Like, so now you're facing opposition. You're like, oh, yeah. Let's Come on. Let's get it. Here we go. Let's yeah. get it. Yeah. Bring it on. Yeah. This is good. Amen. This will be fun. It'll be, it brings out the fighter. But they bring, they stayed for a long time. Why? To try to unpoison them. Right. <laughs> to try to heal them. They spoke boldly for the Lord Jesus. This didn't just come in a place where like, they're just trying to like, be nice and, and kind of fix their reputation. And that's what I'm... No, they were like speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. If they're already ticked off, they're going to be ticked off more. Amen. But if, they're, if God is working and God is stirring, God will soften the hearts. So the same, the same heat that melts the butter hardens the clay. So that, that speaking boldly is that heat. And testify to the message from a heart of love for the neighbor. This is what is happening here. Is that we, we don't see the word love, but we see love all over the pages. They stayed. Why? Because they loved. Love stays. Love stays. Love your neighbor. They met resistance. You poison their mind against the brothers, so they stayed a long time. Why? Because they loved them. Love, like I said, makes you stay. Well, let's talk about what love is. There's a there was a movie that we just watched this last week um, on Pureflix, and we're like, Megan Fox is in a Pureflix movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was a movie called Think Like a Dog. Where you know, this kind of science experiment happens, and like this kid's trying to do like this whole like telepathy thing, and also they're using like a satellite thing and do a collar, and boom, like he can hear his dog's thoughts. He's like a super nerdy prodigy science nerd, and he can like now like talk to his dog, you know. But no one else can hear the dog; only he can hear it in his head. And his parents, however, are getting a divorce, getting separated, and they keep having this conversation throughout the whole movie. So I asked him, like, what, what, what love is. And the thing that I kept hearing, like, throughout the movie was, like, oh, we fell out of love. It's not the same like it used to be. And we've just gotten to a place where it's too difficult. But, like, they, don't, they weren't really even necessarily fighting. They were, like, I was, like, wait, everyone and I talk to each other like that sometimes. Like, it's not that. It's, like, we're just discussing. We're having a discussion. And differences of opinion and trying to settle it out. We're not, like, up and ready to leave. But it's amazing how easy it is for many people without Christ to give up. To give up because they don't know true love. Mm -hmm. Because what is love? Like we talked about, the word agape in the Greek is the same word, you know, root word in Hebrew, which, which is hesed, which means steadfast, faithful, loyal devotion. That's what those words mean. So love isn't a feeling. Love is not romance. Love is a steadfast and loyal, devoted decision to be faithful to that person. To say, you're my human, whether you like it or not. Because that's what God says to us. You're my human, whether you like it or not, get over it. If you're angry at me, great, we can handle that. If you're frustrated, great, we can handle that. If you're doubting, I will show you more love. 
God's love is steadfast and faithful devotion. That's what it means. That's what love means. It means that there's, you are steadfastly and loyally and faithfully devoted to someone's ultimate good. Or the word tov, as we said, which is the expression of shalom, flourishing, peace, life in the garden, life as God created and meant for it to be. Good is shalom, lived out. So when we are devoted to someone's ultimate good and flourishing, that's love. And what is their ultimate love? No, what is their ultimate good and flourishing? Life in Christ. And that's the love we love our spouses with. That's the love we love our kids with. I want my kids to know and love Jesus. I want my kids to know and love their mother and me. I want them to know and love those that they get to love out there in their, in their school, their classes, at a birthday party, hang out at the donut shop, being served by a really awesome donut barista. Tanner started working there, so. <laughs> Sorry, that's the good But that's why, like, the word, word love is said us peace, and you can see it. All over 1 Corinthians 13. That's not a marriage love specifically. That's not like a romantic love that is describing in 1 Corinthians 13. No, no, You can see this steadfast, faithful devotion lived out by saying love is what? Patience. Love is kind. Because you don't cultivate love through rudeness. You don't cultivate love by impatience and control. Speaking of myself. <laughs> It's difficult to love sometimes the right way with my, with my children. Who are not going to brush their teeth, not going to stay staying in this. Right. Not getting ready to go to leave and get out to the car in the morning. That's patient. Yeah. We don't. So here's the other, other point here, too. This one struck me like hitting like, hit me like a ton of bricks. We also don't love people on their terms. Let that sink in for a second. Love, we, we don't love people on their terms. True. What I mean by that is we cannot, we cannot allow the world to tell us what love is. You're not saying this, you're not agreeing with this, therefore you hate me. Sometimes, oftentimes, most of the time, okay, all the time, <laughs> it's really the truth played out that we are loving them, speaking truth, and that's the way that we love. We're devoting them ourselves to speak and to do in our relationship with them according to their ultimate good and flourishing. Which is to lead them to Christ and lead them to sin. Mm -hmm. Lead them to flourishing. True flourishing. True life. True godliness. True hope. True joy. True love. We don't allow us to say, this is what love looks like to me. And this is how you will love me. Because we know what and who love looks like. And that's Mr. Love, Jesus Christ. Amen. Neighbor. What does a neighbor? What does a neighbor look like? <laughs> Who's my neighbor, Jesus? You know, the old... Good Samaritan story, right? 
This word, in, in the context, means you know, any other person, and where two are you know, concerned, the, you know, the other, you know, thy fellow man, thy, you know, thy neighbor, is like basically like fellow man. But for the Old Testament culture, uh, that was a Jewish conception. You know, a member of the Hebrew race or the Hebrew Jewish Israeli commonwealth. Is a basically, like we say, like love your fellow American. Absolutely. But those Mexicans, but those Canadians, eh, but those Californians. Yeah. <laughs> Preach. We love you anyways, huh? Hey. <laughs> I'm from there. So <laughs> but this, according to the teachings of Jesus. It's basically like any other man, irrespective of race or religion, with whom we live with or whom we have a chance to meet. This idea, is, like I said, is brought out in the, in the parable of the Samaritan. The context is everyone. Anyone you ever have a chance to meet, make sure that your interaction with that person is according, is loving and being steadfastly devoted to their full, true good and flourishing. Even if it's just ministry. Even if it's just leaving a good tip. Even if it's just hanging, saying hello. Even if it's like we're riding our Harleys and we, and we put our fingers down to each other and like say, hey, what's up? Even the BMWs. <laughs> Inside joke. But, but basically this is to be near someone. In passive terms, this is so someone who is... Um, is kind of near someone, like kind of your next door neighbor or like the cashier or whatever. Like somebody who just kind of happens to be in your life at that given moment. An acquaintance, something like that, right? But in active terms, this sense is, is someone to be worthy or regarded as a friend or companion. Um, and here, so Paul is sent to neighbors in his, in his missionary journeys. And Paul loved his neighbor. He loved those who God put him into perspective, God put him into relationship with. Love is steadfast and faithful to what Jesus would say and do if, and because he is, they're in the room with you. Imagine like Jesus is there always with you. And how would he want to say and interact with you? Or how would he tell you to interact and do and say with people? That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Is to walk as though Jesus is walking with us because this what? He's, he's with us, he will never leave us, nor forsake us. Paul boldly spoke in the name of Jesus Christ, who, as it says, testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. Essentially, like this, you can see, like researching the nerdy stuff about this, and so we're going to go with the next hour of our my nerdy research. <laughs> There's so many different like stories and like historical historical myths and legends and all sorts of stuff, specifically about Iconium. Like even like this whole like you know this person named Tekla, the the Virgin Tekla, um, who would later be venerated by the or the Orthodox Church, um, like this. And like kind of venerated among the virgins, and kind of created almost like the the early monastic movement for nuns. That you know, she was coming, you know, she was from Iconium, or at least the tradition said that she was from Iconium, and went and later followed Paul. 
message of what signs and wonders were being done. And what they were, we don't know, because all it says is they did signs and wonders. Right. They could have just been a few, a handful. It could have been just like, I mean, like I said, they stayed, they stayed there for a long time. Right? And where do we have the precedent for this? Is this, is our signs and wonders a, a, a telltale sign of the kingdom of God coming near? Well, let's look at Jesus' words. John chapter 14. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. But that's not just the apostles. That's not saying that God raised up this special cast of disciple that was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do good works. He said, anyone, the one who believes in me, will also do the works that I do. Yeah. Who believes in Jesus? Who's put their faith in Jesus here this morning? That's you. You have been given the Holy Spirit by which to do even greater works than Jesus. Not because, mainly because he was only here for three years. Correct. But you're here for how many decades? Decades. Opportunity after opportunity has afforded you for God's Holy Spirit to work in and work through you. Through signs and wonders. But what do signs and wonders always do? They provide a platform for the gospel preaching of the message of Jesus. It's not just to put on a show. It's not just to say, look at this, this is fun. It's to say, God healed you. Jesus Christ healed you. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, be made whole. In the name of Jesus, walk. In the name of Jesus, let your trauma be healed. In the name of Jesus, be saved. That's what he's saying. Now, question for us. This is what I want to wrap up our time here this morning with. Have we muted and neutered the gospel message we preach because we've become so focused on being liked and accepted in the world, and specifically in our Western society, that we are afraid to? Have we muted and neutered the gospel message we preach because we're so focused on being liked? As though it's our responsibility to protect the reputation of the church in the world or protect the reputation of Jesus in the world, that we cower back and don't love people like Jesus said to love them. We're afraid to, so we love them on their terms. Because we think that by loving them on their terms, that's when they'll come to faith in Jesus. Right. That is the beginning and the end of the liberal progressive movement. Mm-hmm. How do we, instead of loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbors ourselves, transition love into a love of the world and the things of the world? So as to try to be relevant to the world. How we traded the love of God for the love of people. 2 Timothy 3 says this, But but know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents. A.K.A. unloving. 
ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid. Have we become the people that God said to avoid? Because we deny the work of the Holy Spirit. Because we deny the power to save of the gospel message. And instead of replacing it with, oh, I just need to live a good way and go see the gospel. Right. I'll say this again. Like St. Francis of Assisi said, you know, if necessary, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Right. It's like saying, feed the hungry, and if necessary, use food. <clears throat> you have to speak the gospel and live the gospel. Yeah. It can't be one or the other, it has to be both. So that when you preach the gospel, it aligns with the gospel you live. Right. Yeah. So it gives validity. These guys weren't this good. I told you wasn't seeing, you know, Paul and Barnabas preaching the gospel and then going and hanging out in the brothels. Right. Yeah. They lived the gospel they preached. The gospel of joy was always on their face, whether they were speaking or whether they were just greeting someone in the market. Mm -hmm. The gospel was always being proclaimed, whether by word or deed. How do we, if we have indeed traded these things, become the very people that Paul is instructing us to, the church to avoid, how do we get out? How do we repent? How do we change our minds? How do we metanoia and get out of our current state? We have to have faith over fear. We uh, went to the Red Collective concert on Thursday. And uh, one of the one of the fun fun favorite songs was Lighthouse. My love, of course, I'm into Lighthouse years again. So like, my love, my love, it's like super fun. Like it was, it was basically like just a big joy Jesus party. It was so much fun. We were in the balcony, like get everyone jumping, like we're like this is where the balcony collapses. This is an old building. Another guy in front just going nuts, and like kind of like you're awesome. And got to the, the, the song Lighthouse. And I was singing and enjoying it, and God was like, <laughs> I was like, whoa. Because you know, a lighthouse. It's always been like, lighthouse, 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 my lighthouse. You can say to show, like to bring the people to ships. It brings the ships in, but it also warns that there's rocks ahead. Right. Yes. So come this way, but not here. Right. Right? So lighthouse is to point the direction where the harbor is, but also to warn you of dangers ahead. So that it can bring those ships safe to shore. Safe to shore. If you keep going toward a lighthouse, you're going to crash from the rocks. But love your neighbor. That's what love is. Love, and, and our, our role in, in this world is to be lighthouses. Saying, come over here, the harbor's over here, but not here. I'm not your God, I'm not your Jesus, I'm not your salvation. He's over there. Right, right. You come here, all you're going to find is destruction. You're going to worship me, you're going to find all of this. I'm not that great. Come to Jesus. This is how we love our neighbor, seeing ourselves as lighthouses. 
Tell them the truth. Speak boldly of the message of the gospel of Jesus, pointing them to Jesus. Signs and wonders. We need to make space in our lives and in our faith to walk in obedience for the Lord to testify to the message of the gospel that we preach. And if God says, step out and heal, step out in faith, maybe speak that word of knowledge to that person. Maybe speak that word, that prophetic word to them. Maybe branch out and ask if they can pray for them for healing. Seeing, you're cultivating your life to have opportunities to step out in faith, to testify, for the Lord to testify to the message of the gospel that you preach. Because basically what fear is, is honor. The word, the word in the Bible is this word you know, for fear is honor, or glory. It's actually a glory. And so to say fear of God versus fear of man is to say honor and glory of man. Am I going to live my life in order to honor and glorify man, or am I going to live my life in such a way to glorify and honor God? The true God. Because those who don't know, if we live in fear, if we live in this place, then we're just spinning our wheels. We're staying frustrated. We're living, you know, living in fear keeps us in bondage. Never fulfilling the God dreams that, he's, that he has given you. Not just that your imagination goes up, but the dreams that God gives you to accomplish. Live your life through the lens of what people, if, if we live... If we live our lives through the lens of what people in the world want to do, and we're afraid to step out and preach the gospel and see God manifest through signs and wonder, we are living in fear. We're living in honor and glory to the world. Mm-hmm. But if you live your life through the lens of what God wants of you, and you provide a space for Him to manifest Himself through signs and wonders, to speak truth of the gospel then that gives opportunity for glory to your God. Yeah. And so, remember that, that formula. Loving your neighbor, plus signs and wonders that God would choose to manifest. You, just, you can't make him do them. Right. You're just there to do them if he wants you to do them. You, you can't say like, God, I'm going to go do this. You're going to be like, um, have fun with that. Yeah, you wait on him. Wait on God to say go. So loving your neighbor plus providing a space for God to work signs and wonder in your lives equals glory to God. Let that be what guides our lives, just like it guided Paul and Barnabas in Iconium. Let that guide you and your friends in Belgrade, in Bozeman, in Livingston. Four corners. In four corners. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for your word. God, you are the Lord. You are the God who heals. You are the God who does great signs and wonders. And Lord, most of all, you are the God who saves, who fills people, who forgives them of their sins, draws them to faith in Jesus, opens opens their eyes to your glory, Lord Jesus. So we pray that you would do it through us. Do it now. Do it again, Lord Jesus. Do what you did in Iconium and do it again in us as we walk through our lives, as we go about our days, as we we are going, Lord. Help us to preach the gospel and to live the gospel and to see the kingdom of heaven break through. 
the love of Jesus. Amen. Amen.